problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoo-ha! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's back with money with Gabby Dunn. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. Oh, guys, it's been a while. The last episode of Bad With Money aired in July 2020, and we were talking about COVID, ending the show with an episode about COVID and the indigenous community. The pandemic had derailed a season we'd originally planned to spend, ironically, talking about wellness. At that time, we were learning about coronavirus in real time, and Bad With Money started covering it week to week. That feels like a lifetime ago. We're now a year into a global pandemic, one many of us thought would only last a few weeks. Life has been upended, job loss, loss of life, just tremendous loss everywhere. This whole time, I was impatient to get the show back up and running. We switched networks, finding a proper home for the show at Westwood One, and while that was all sorting itself out, I just anxiously watched the news and heard your stories via email and Instagram. And I am very grateful to be back on this platform. So we are adding a new feature. Going forward, there's going to be a Bad With Money hotline number along with the usual email address, which is gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com. At the end of every episode, I'm going to play your voicemails or voice memos or read your emails so that this show becomes more of a community as well as a podcast. I'm sure many of you feel alone right now, frustrated or ignored. And, you know, I'm only one person, right? So I want you to be able to hear from each other, too. Or reach out with your experiences. You know, what's happened to you in the last year? How have you figured out how to survive or thrive? What tips do you have? What frustrations have newly arisen? I realized that those stories were really important, too. So the number to call in is 844-474-4040. So please give us a call. I want the show to include your voices, too. episode of this season of Bad With Money had to be about jobs. In the U.S. where I'm based, we've had massive unemployment, halted congressional aid packages that were $600 or $1,200 one-time sums, just like not enough for people to live on. If you're looking back at this as some sort of historical archive of the year of our collective trauma, here are some statistics for you. According to a January 12th, 2021 report from the Federation of American Scientists Congressional Research Service, unemployment, quote, peaked at an unprecedented level not seen since data collection started in 1948 in April 2020, 14.8%, before declining to a still elevated level in December, 6.7%. I don't have to tell my listening audience that the most affected groups were young people, women, as this report put it, workers with low educational attainment, part-time employees, and racial and ethnic minorities. And as of February 23, 2021, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics was reporting that of the 16.9 million people unemployed in July, 9.6 million, so that's 57%, were unable to work because their employer closed or lost business due to the pandemic. So just to prove that, yes, all of this unemployment is a result of COVID, just in case you thought it was a conspiracy theory by lizard people or something. And it's not just the U.S. 
The BBC reported that in the UK, the most recent unemployment rate for October to December was 5.1%, which is according to the Office of National Statistics, which was the highest figure for five years, quote, and that means that 1.74 million people were unemployed. During the pandemic, more than half the drop in the number of employees has been among the under 25s. The target audience for this show... Although I know a good chunk of you are older, this show has the most diverse in age audience of anything I've ever made. So hello. I'm also 32. Okay, so what's being done? Well, there hasn't been rent cancellation, which is a topic we will get to later in the season. And there hasn't been sufficient government response, which we can all probably see in our own lives and the lives of our friends and family. Time reported on December 21st, 2020, that the new aid package is expected to provide a $600 direct stimulus payment to qualifying Americans and a $300 weekly supplemental jobless benefit. This does not cover rent for most people, as studies have shown a large number of Americans could not come up with $400 in the case of an emergency, something we've talked about on this show a lot. In the same time report, the U.S. fell far behind other countries in GDP, such as Japan, Slovenia, Germany. The U.S. sat... At 14%, most of those countries are in the 40 to 20% range. And the new package could bring us up to, wow, a whopping 18%. So why are these other countries doing better than us? Well, it's because our national poverty rate has risen faster than ever, due in part to lapses in economic relief, as we said, and certain CARES Act provisions that have expired. Many European countries, meanwhile, had existing safety nets set up well before the pandemic that helped to cushion the blow for many affected residents. Wow, existing safety nets in case of a national or international emergency slash pandemic. Sick, cool. What's that like? So after that stunning summary and tons of numbers... I knew that we needed to open this season of Bad With Money by talking about jobs, desperately. My guest this week is Sarah Allhouse, who's a lawyer who specializes in public policy, and she also is an expert for our purposes in labor and employment law and COVID-19 relief packages. I found Sarah while searching for information about unemployment during the pandemic on Twitter. She has hashtag cancel UI taxes in her Twitter bio, meaning Yes, our unemployment is taxed here in the U.S., sometimes making it, as she called it, a wash. A recent tweet by her read, Unemployed Americans need $1,400 stimulus check to pay their IRS UI tax bill. Doesn't have the same ring. Hashtag American Rescue Plan, at POTUS, at Speaker Pelosi, at Senator Schumer. Sarah did not come to play. She has been on it when it comes to information and education about COVID relief for unemployed people and has been conducting her own research about unemployment during this time. There are surveys galore on her Twitter. We all know this is bad. So now what? What can change? Hey, Sarah, can you, for my audience, tell them who you are and what you do? Yeah, definitely. So I am um, an attorney. I'm based here in New York, in Astoria, New York, and I started working on artist advocacy. So I've been in different capacities representing artists for probably about nine years. So I started in, I worked for Springboard for the Arts in Minnesota by um, managing the legal program for artists there, which represents about 10,000 professional artists. And then I got into, I went to DC to work on copyright. And then I moved over and got involved in the labor side of things. So I worked for the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, and I worked both in the capacity of representing people in labor disputes, 
you know, working on negotiations for the union contracts, and then also representing people at, you know, in New York, California, and at the federal level for policy. And so in October of this last year, I actually got laid off. So SAG after I think reduced its staff by like 30%. And so now I am, I'm running a pro bono practice. Yeah. Well, that's, kind of ironic that you were laid off when (laughs) you do a lot of stuff for labor rights. (laughs) So can you talk about like, because your Twitter has been popping off with stuff about the pandemic and what's been going on with people with labor and unemployment. So let's say that this is like a time capsule and somebody's listening to this. When did you start seeing that unemployment was going to rise? I was in New York City working in Manhattan, and I remember very vividly the day that Broadway shut down. Mm -hmm. And I was working in film and television. I didn't represent uh, stage actors. And I turned to somebody in the office and I said, well, our industry is screwed. Mm -hmm. And I never will forget. He said, what does theater have to do with film and television? And within about two, three, four weeks, it became very, very clear that we were going to be dealing with long-term crisis in the arts and entertainment space. You know, like I said, like we started doing layoffs at SAG-AFTRA a few months in, Mm -hmm. and then every few months they were doing new rounds of it. I would talk to actors who were getting absolutely no jobs. I mean, at the very beginning of the pandemic, it was a total lockdown, particularly here in New York. I mean, I was living in the epicenter of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was barely leaving my house. So this any idea that Anybody that was in some sort of live events or film production of any kind just wasn't happening. Well, yeah. And also anything in person like service industry or anything like that. So what have you seen in terms of like the rise of unemployment? Well, I deal with honestly the people who there's probably about 4 million Americans who are on long-term unemployment, which is about 4 million people nationwide. And the people that I represent, I rarely meet somebody who has been unemployed for a couple months. Most of the people that I work with have been unemployed since March 2020. Unemployment has remained a crisis. You know, it was pretty drastic uh, for the first like three to six months. There was a little bit of an improvement where the unemployment rate, you know, dropped a a fair amount. And then it just started to go right back again. I think December was a very bad month. January Mm -hmm. was a very bad month for unemployment. You had in December, I think a report came out that there was some improvement for new jobs for men, like men were gaining some jobs. Women lost 150,000 jobs in December report. Is that just because of what industry they're in? It's a lot of factors. Honestly, you have the industries that they're in, right? They worked in hospitality. They worked in admin positions, you know, things that stereotypically that women have worked in, uh, teaching jobs, things like that. You had people leaving the job market because of the childcare crisis and mm-hmm. education. And usually, you know, unfortunately, we just still live in a society where women are the ones that tend to pick up a lot of the childcare needs. And then you had, you know, other issues. You had neutral layoff policies has been shown to disproportionately affect women, people of color. So even when a company is saying, oh, you know, we're being neutral, we're doing it in a certain <laughs> way. For instance, like even, you know, like if a company tends to do stuff like seniority layoffs, right? Mm-hmm. So people who were there... Uh, for a shorter amount of time, people who were in positions that they viewed to be disposable. So a lot of women got laid off there. And then 
there was also this, you know, we consider the mixed earner problem that I work on where women are kind of entrepreneurial. Women tend to have, I think they represented before the pandemic, 60% of new entrepreneurs. And on top of that, women also tend to have multiple jobs. So they'll juggle multiple jobs. And a lot of those jobs, they're more likely to have multiple part-time jobs. Whereas men who have multiple jobs tend to have a full-time job and then they have you know, a part-time job that's on the weekend because maybe they're trying to start a larger company or something like that. So women, I think, were disproportionately Im- impacted on a lot of different topics when it came to the unemployment. And unfortunately, I think that we are going to be dealing with this with women where they're going to have to rebuild considerably over the next few years. Because I think women generally in the workplace have gone back decades. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Let's say after everyone is vaccinated, do you think unemployment will go back to normal rates? Or do you think like you said, this is something that is going to affect us the same way the Great Depression did for like years and years. I think it's going to take years. Honestly, you're going to have some, there's no jobs to go back to in some cases, right? Mm -hmm. Like some companies, you know, like film is a good example where I do think there's going to be a really strong, um, you know, return, right? I, I think that you're going to have, okay, production companies have been struggling to have half as much of the crew, one third of the crew, Mm -hmm. but they really want the rest of the crew, right? And so once they are able to get rid of all these restrictions on, you know, COVID protections, I think they are going to start bringing back the crew. Where there's other places, like I think a third, I mean, don't quote me on this, but I think like a third of small businesses have just gone away and are just gone. People have gotten used to remote work more. People have, have realized that, hey, we can get all this done with less people. So you're also going to have companies, you know, just saying, listen, we can get by with less workers. We don't have to bring back these positions. You know, maybe they have no intention of bringing back certain positions. So I do think there's going to be a lot of need for things like jobs programs, transitioning people into new professions. And then I also think particularly for millennials, I mean, we've kind of gotten screwed by a lot of Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, economic collapses. People are going to have to start getting creative in terms of entrepreneurship. So I think that there's just going to be out of necessity and then also the fact that our our culture and our understanding of work-life balance has changed. Can you briefly talk about what mixed earners are? We still have a legal system and we still have an unemployment system that's based on people who are W-2 employees, right? You, you know, work for a company, they have control over your work, you know, they provide the resources, the staff, whatever. And then you have more and more in the last 10 years or so, people have become either self-employed or they just become 1099 contractors. So you're still being employed by a company and you're still doing kind of a function of an employee, but you are being uh, labeled as a contractor. So they don't have to give you health insurance primarily. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Right. They're trying to cut benefits, right? I mean, there are legitimate, there are legitimate contractors, right? That want to be contractors, right? But that's not who most of these people are, right? This is like the Uber drivers, Uh right? Like the gig economy um, where they're trying to, you know, save on payroll expenses. So because of this growing, changing economy, you have people now who, you know, I think it's probably like, you know, eight, nine million people nationwide who make a combination of income. They don't have, you know, the same employer. They have two employers or they run their own business and then they have an employer. I don't know if you saw the Dolly Parton commercial for Squarespace Mm -hmm. on the Super Bowl. And they had the person who worked at an office as an admin person during the day and then they were trying to run their business at night, right? And there are pros and cons to this situation. And so what happened for the mixed earner problem is when people went to go file for their unemployment system, because our entire legal benefit safety net 
social programs are all based on this the 1950s dad who worked as an employee for a company 40 hours a week, you know, all year round for 20 years. The traditional unemployment system is all based on W-2 income. So Congress went out and they created this wonderful program called the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program to give self-employed people for the first time ever an unemployment system so they could collect unemployment, which is fantastic. The problem was is that the, the language of the CARES Act said you could go into this program if you didn't qualify for unemployment benefits. Well, <laughs> a lot of people who are mixed earners who earn that W-2 and that 1099 income are going to technically qualify for traditional state unemployment benefits. And traditional state unemployment benefits are all based on the more income you make, the more money you're going to get for your benefit. So, you know, I have a musician, Kyle, who is in a band and, and he, you know, makes good money, makes six figures, and he's a self-employed person. He literally got like maybe $1,200 in 2019 from TV residual checks, which are W-2 income from a, like acting in like, you know, Disney television shows as mm -hmm. a kid. And that qualified him for like $41 a week from California's <laughs> unemployment benefits program. Because it defaults to the W-2? It defaulted to the W-2, and because California has a minimum threshold of $1,200 for W-2 income, he got through it, thrown into this. He has lost $20,000, $21,000 in benefits that were intended for him. It's been a total disaster. People's lives have been ruined. It was tragic. People went homeless. Yes, just driving around Los Angeles, the homeless population or the unhoused population has grown immensely, like visibly. Yes. And, you know, I think for people who were cobbling together an income from, you know, various gig economy stuff, let's say not not even artists, it's not that simple as to what you qualify for or what you're making the most money at. And so if you're defaulted to the W-2, that doesn't take into account the reality of their situations. Yeah. yeah so can you talk about what the government actually did do for people and what could have been done better in your eyes as a professional? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I will say that there were a lot of wonderful things in the CARES Act. And I do think that it's tempting to focus on the negative sides for sure. But some of this stuff that was in the CARES Act was FDR level of social program enhancements, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the 16 weeks um, that people got on top of their unemployment benefits, $600 for 16 weeks, was insanely beneficial. It really saved our economy. We had people not working at all, completely no ability to find a job, being able to pay their expenses and even be able to stimulate the economy to make sure that we were, you know, paying restaurant work and stuff like that. So they created there was the traditional unemployment system for W-2 workers, which already was in existence, and that was at the state level. Then they created the federal supplements so that everybody would get $600. And now that they went 22 weeks without that, and then now they're back at $300 a week. And then this new COVID relief package is trying to bring it up to $400 a week. They created the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, which was for gig workers and self-employed people and entrepreneurs, which was fantastic. Got those people benefits that they haven't gotten before. And then, you know, there was other things that came about like the stimulus checks. You know, obviously I, I like the stimulus checks because it gets people money and it, it fills in some gaps. 
But, you know, really these people who were unemployed and, and didn't have job loss, these people needed thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars um, to get by. So these stimulus checks to the actual unemployed have been a little bit frustrating because they don't necessarily do much for them. Mm-hmm. And to give you an example of something that I think should be happening and really frustrates me is that unemployment income is taxed. I mean, we literally tax the unemployment benefits, which is insane because it's benefits handed out by the government to help people in crisis. And so what happened with that is in California, as one example, the state government wasn't withholding taxes on that $600. So now all these unemployed people who have no money have been broke. They are getting tax bills right now. I mean, people are getting a thousand, two thousand dollar tax bills and the stimulus check is going to be either a wash for them or they're going to have to give it right back to the IRS. I'm not kidding you. So in your profile, you have hashtag cancel UI taxes. So let's get into that. So what is happening <laughs> and what can be done to fight against that? Yeah, so there's multiple ways. It can happen through a congressional act. So Dick Durbin, Senator Dick Durbin, and then um, Representative Axney from Iowa on the House side have introduced legislation that will at least forgive federal taxes on the first $10,200 from 2020, right? So this is kind of addressing the $600 supplement, which was about $9,600 total for people. And that's one avenue that's, you know, but the problem is it has a $30 billion price tag. And with the $1.9 trillion ceiling for this relief package, it's been impossible to get that into the actual package. But there's still a lot of effort to still do this as a standalone bill going forward. The other option would not require congressional act. And that is for the Treasury Department to just waive it which they have done in times of crisis. However, I think there needs to be a lot of immediate attention around this because right now it doesn't seem like the Biden administration or the Treasury Department is feeling much pressure to do this. I think that President Biden has really preferred congressional um, action over executive action. But how do they not realize that if you tax unemployment, what is the point of the unemployment? (laughs) Like how... How do they not realize that this is like priority emergency number like three? Do you know what I mean? Like it it makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. So that I mean, the whole thing is incredibly confusing, I think, for people like I think people didn't know how to apply for the right unemployment. People didn't know how to apply for the different packages. People were not aware, I think, that you were going to have to pay taxes on the unemployment I mean, it just seems like a little bit of a confusing mess. And in terms of raising awareness, like I think the people that listen to this podcast should be hyper aware of the cancel UI taxes. And I think that should be like something we really are making noise about because it's devastating when it's just a wash. Oh, yeah. I do not understand. We do need to bring awareness to it. And we need to get, honestly, and this is the other thing too, we have to get people who are employed who haven't experienced job loss, who haven't experienced, you know, um, income loss, to be allies here. Mm-hmm. Because it can't just be unemployed people. People who are privileged to have a job right now, who maybe even got a, a raise, for goodness sakes, mm-hmm. who knows? They really, I think there is a moral obligation for people to really spend more time fighting for the unemployed right now. I think it really, people were fighting really hardcore right when the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm unemployment was the top issue. 
And I think unfortunately now it's sort of a side issue. Like I'll go on Twitter and people will literally say, oh, the only thing in the stimulus package is $1,400. And it's like, no, there's unemployment benefits. Like, right. Mm -hmm. Like we need to start fighting for these other issues like relief, you know, rent relief, mortgage assistance, everything. Oh, we're going to have a whole episode about rent relief. Don't you worry. And also (laughs) what's kind of maddening too is that this could have been going on the whole time. Yes, 100%. I've actually been kind of sounding the alarms on on taxes for a while, like basically when the this CARES Act was passed. I was like, people are not going to be able to pay unemployment taxes when it comes time for tax day. And, it, and it, it manifested itself. It could have been solved early on. There was no policy justification for it. And because it wasn't solved early on, now it's kind of being viewed as new money, right? New, new benefit money, as opposed mm-hmm. to it, it just not being there in the beginning. And then it wouldn't have been a problem. So you talked about a lot of businesses going away. What was done legislatively or policy-wise for businesses or small business owners? Anybody who's self-employed or has a small business should look into the Paycheck Protection Program because there is um, still money for what's the first draw. And then people who did the first draw, there's um, the second draw. There's misconceptions about the Paycheck Protection Program. One, you can be self-employed. You can be your own your only employee. Two, and this is the biggest thing, you only have to prove that you were in operation on February 15th, 2020. So I'm trying to help a woman apply for PPP right now. Her business just completely, she had to close it down, sell her studio, start selling off her, you know, equipment and stuff. She has all this, you know, debt caused from it. And she's still going to be able to qualify for the PPP loan because she was in operation at this stage. And the whole point of the PPP loan is to save small businesses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people are going to, if they could, they want to rebuild and they want to reopen their small business. And so that is, that is probably the biggest thing that's out there for small businesses. And then there's also the shuttered venues operators grant for people who are operating like live event spaces. Basically, it's to keep the rent being paid mm-hmm. while people go through this pandemic so that we just don't lose all these wonderful cultural locations in our, in our cities and that those people can, those companies can still stick around. But those are the two things that come to mind. I mean, it's been interesting to see that things are closing, things that Mm -hmm. I went to all the time in Los Angeles. And then, and then the idea is like, when the pandemic is over, something new will pop up there. But Mm -hmm. I wonder about the person who had the original space, if they were sort of like a lower income type person. And then like the new thing that opens is going to be like a Starbucks, you know? I know. It's painful. Is that something that is I'm accurate about? Yeah. I mean, right now the commercial real estate, at least here in New York, is still pretty bad. So you don't have like companies trying to come in and, and get space. And I'm curious to see how many people will just go remote. So in that sense, I wonder how much these great cultural local, you know, restaurants and, and small businesses are at risk of losing the actual space. That'll be interesting to see. But yeah, I mean, the government just needs to do more for these people. So right now the Paycheck Protection Program is great because I think it helps people like pay off debt and and those kind of things. But when we get to the Build Back Better campaign of the Biden administration, where we're actually trying to get people back into their small businesses, back into, you know, those local great um, small businesses that used to go visit in LA, there need to be new programs, new grants, new loan, forgivable loans for those people to get back. Because it, it, what happened to small businesses is just um, tragic. 
what is the the Biden administration's th- like? What do they got going on, and what could they be doing better? Yeah, I mean, it's uncertain right now. I mean, I know that there's big issues that are hopefully going to create some jobs for people. Like, I know that the um, infrastructure bill is probably going to happen this year, which would be pretty massive. It's unclear what the individual and small business programs are going to be. I have some ideas of things that would help. Like what? Like looking at what is the actual loss to the people that happened. So the losses were the business shut down, right? You lost the space, right? So that's on the business level. Maybe you had to sell your equipment. Maybe you uh, entered into a lot of business debt that you have to pay off. Then you have to look at the person at the individual level who's like a small business owner, an entrepreneur or whoever and look at, okay, so you have credit card debt now and you have um, you had to empty out your retirement savings and you had to empty out your regular savings. And so looking at stuff like matching programs, right? So when I was in poverty, I did a matching program and I put $150 a month into a savings account and the government matched it. Um, and I did that for two years. So there are things that I think the government can do to help people rebuild their lives. And I think Build Back Better not only has to be focused on large industries, not only has to be focused on small businesses, but I also think we need to build back better people's individual lives. What can we do to let the government know we want that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly think we got to figure out a way to come up with a short, easy messaging, which I haven't figured out yet, yeah. um, that people who are representing the unemployed or people that lost income to really say we have to focus on this on an individual level. And I think, you know, maybe even playing off the build back better, right? Like I've been using stuff like restore people's lives, Mm -hmm. rebuild people's lives, because we can't just pretend this didn't happen, right? That's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. We can't have, like my family lost their home during the 2008 recession, like Mm -hmm. a lot of families did. My family never recovered. Right. I mean, I don't have a home. That's what I'm worried about that. I think this is going to be a very traumatic long-standing things. Like, I think this is going to be something that completely defines the way we view employment and the way we view work. I mean, what's going on? Are the Congress people just like not living in the same reality as the average person? Is that what's happening? I think they're trying to drink from a fire hydrant. I think there is a lot of triage that's been happening. Yeah, there is massive. I mean, we didn't even get into this. The unemployment system has just failed practically, by the way. It's state by state. It's all these different offices. California EDD office is just an an international disaster. Tell me more. Tell me all about that. (laughs) No, tell me everything about that. Yeah, yeah. So the California unemployment office is using technology literally from the 1980s. I'm not joking. No, I believe you. Yeah, yeah. I think a report came out that there was a call center of phones to nowhere um, Mm -hmm. for a while. They had to do a task force, Newsom did, to identify problems to try to help people out. There was massive fraud. People couldn't verify their own themselves, even though they would upload their ID and people would be waiting for months because their ID wasn't verified. There was people on the WorkShare program had to fax in materials. People had to like hand mail claims. Oh, this is another reason why I think we should just federalize unemployment, right? I I really think it would be a huge mistake on the federal government to take this disaster, this complete nationwide state-by-state unemployment office disaster, and not try to build a federal unemployment program nationwide. Because one of the other problems that comes about is, let's say you're a gig worker, you're a small business, whatever, you work for on film or music or wherever, you might be working in five different states, Yep. right? And then you go to apply in California EDD. You have to literally go through this like tedious process to get your W-2 income from your other states to get transferred 
to the California ADD office. It is a total disaster. I think when people, you know, like they had the big short movie mm-hmm. about the 2008 that came out 10 years ago, there's going to be a movie one day, I'm predicting this, about how outdated technology at unemployment offices is the reason we have a five to 10 year recovery in this country. It was such a disaster. I think like anyone who's ever been to an unemployment office could verify that entirely. I think the view is we want to punish people who want unemployment, who want social benefits so that they are so overwhelmed and hate it so much that they just get a job, which is not how that works. (laughs) No, no. And also think about opportunity costs, right? Applying for a job or finding a new job, especially in a pandemic, this is a full-time job. Absolutely. The time it takes to apply to one job, the networking, the whatever, it is not good for society for me to go and try to desperately get a job at Target, right? Right. And unfortunately, the way that the system is built, like what you said, is you're forcing people to go have to go and try to get any job, even if they're extremely overqualified for it, or even if it pays less than the unemployment programs, because the system is so broken. Yeah. And you know who that takes jobs away from? The people who are qualified for that job or want to work in retail or want to work Or like, you know, have the experience of 15 years in the restaurant industry or whatever. It's classist and it bumps people out of the jobs that they've been in for years and years and have experience in. And it doesn't even make sense in terms of skills. Yeah. And you're also creating an employer market, right? I mean, how hard is it? Like, let's say, you know, you are in the retail field or you are in the restaurant business. You know, people will stay with crappy jobs and low pay and even harassment, sexual harassment is an issue that comes Mm -hmm. up. Because there's no jobs Mm -hmm. and there's 30,000 people that are applying for one job. And so you will put up with anything to just have a job as well. Yep. I mean, we try, this show often tries to be upbeat and it never is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that there are some positives to this. I mean, like I said, I am looking at entrepreneurship or flexible jobs in a way that I never considered before. Mm -hmm. Um, It is forcing me to, you know, reevaluate my life and what I find joy in. You know, I've gotten more into exercise. I've gotten more into cooking. I think that the American culture of work, 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 at least for people who are not essential workers, because those people have just been screwed. Mm-hmm. But people who have, you know, the privilege of, you know, let's say you work from home, you're one of like the, yeah, the one mm-hmm. fourth or one third of people. You know, we're challenging now the American work, 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 work lifestyle. And we are maybe starting to look at how can I build more of a, a work-life balance after the pandemic? That's probably the most positive thing I could say about the pandemic. <laughs> I would love if it led to some form of UBI, which is universal basic yes. income, which we've talked about on this show before. So, I mean, I think other countries have been doing a little bit of a better mm-hmm. job because they already had social programs in place, almost as if they were able to be ready for something like this, whereas I think our government was like a pandemic, who cares? And cut all of that. So I do think this will hopefully maybe open the door for people who otherwise identified with that work, 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 America way of life to see that social programs are not just for lazy black people, which is what they probably are viewing in their minds, which is a horrible, outdated, racist, welfare queen stereotype that is bullshit. 
and we'll see it as everyone deserves to live and have money and be able to like feed their family and feed themselves and live in a home, regardless of like their quote unquote usefulness to society. And also where if you're searching for a job and, you know, or like your your job has gone away, you need to reconfigure to have the money to do that. I think we treat unemployment as like a privilege and it's and it's a right. We do stigmatize these programs. We do stigmatize them. I mean, I always like sometimes I'll be talking to somebody who they stigmatize unemployment. They think it's a handout. And I will tell you if that person lost their job, which anyone could lose their job right now, let's mm-hmm. be clear, it would be their favorite policy in the world. I guarantee it. I mean, it, it because you need it. It is something that you, you know, first of all, you pay into this program. This is an insurance policy that you pay into. I mean, it's like telling somebody who collects their car insurance when they have an accident that, oh, this is a handout. Like, no, you, you're paying into the system. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, you can't get unemployment if you didn't pay taxes, right? Like, that's not a real thing. And so I think we need to get away from the stigma. I mean, okay, so let's say someone comes to you and they're like, I want to go on unemployment, but I feel embarrassed or stigmatized on it. I know you said, like, you're paying into it. What do you say if someone's like, I don't want to be that type of person? Well, I think I benefit from the fact of being able to talk to that person because I'm on unemployment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right, I think just having somebody who's like, you know, like a pretty successful attorney, you know, just be able to say, yeah, I got laid off. You know, and I'm on unemployment and I I've feel been on unemployment. Shame. I've been yeah. on unemployment. <laughs> there, there should be no shame in this. Like I said, every person could lose their job right now. This is a very, very bad market. Um, and then I, you know, this other thing that comes up in addition to the stigma about being on unemployment is I've had people be afraid to file unemployment because they, they don't want to, you know, burn a bridge with their employer because the employer will then have to have increases on their unemployment insurance costs. Like there's so many fears that people have. And I think people just need to survive right now. And I think people should try to get as many benefits that they qualify for. The only reason I graduated from college, the only reason I graduated from law school, I mean, I grew up in poverty. I grew up in a household where my dad couldn't always put gas in the car. We, I grew up where we didn't have heat in our house in Minnesota some years. And I literally would try to get every single program mm-hmm. that I qualified for because it was the only way that I was going to survive. I remember being in law school and my friends would talk about their pools and their saunas and their hot tubs. (laughs) And my dad and mom were living in a 20 year old RV. And so I had to hold back a joke where I was going to be like, yeah, it's so great. My parents' bathroom and bedroom are so close to each other. (laughs) And, you know, like fight that stigma and say, listen, like, you're not, this isn't a handout. This isn't some reflection on you being lazy. Also to me, it's like, The government doesn't know you and doesn't care. Like, take Mm -hmm. all of their money. I don't care who you are. Being like, well, I don't know. Like, then there won't be any left. That's not your problem. That's the government's problem. Yeah, I think that everybody, right, should try to get every single program that they qualify for. Because we live in this country, might as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, what bothers me is like, you know, I actually love the stimulus check more too if it went to undocumented immigrants, right? Yes. Because we have to come to terms with the fact that a lot of undocumented immigrants, particularly if they're using like a social security number or whatever, are paying into our systems that we all benefit from. And it is absolutely crazy. It's a humanitarian crisis that we don't talk about right now, that there are literally people right now who are unemployed 
who are undocumented immigrants and are starving in this country. And, and if those stimulus checks went to those people, I think I would even be more excited about those checks. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, I, I think California is trying to give some money out to undocumented immigrants, which is wonderful now, but it's not enough. It's like $600. Like these people are probably just absolutely destitute. Yeah. I mean, and they pay in, they pay taxes. Yeah, they, they totally pay and they benefit our system. Isn't there something that don't quote me on this, but isn't there something like our social security system is basically saved by undocumented immigrants? I believe it. Like people who pay in and don't come who don't get any benefit out. Yeah, it's absurd. We need to create pathways to citizenship. We need to be able to have these people be able to benefit from the programs that they're paying for. I am 100 percent like Nick Sterner's the people I'm representing. I the, the other phrase I have the catchphrase I say Nick Sterner. Full taxpayer. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I talked to an exotic adult dancer down in Florida and she's pissed. You know, she made the choice in her career that she is going to report every dollar of income that she makes, every tip, every whatever. Imagine how upset and angry and bitter at the government she is right now that she's a mixed earner and she's missing out on $250 a week in unemployment benefits when she paid her taxes. Right. She paid her taxes and now she feels she's being punished for being a mom who has two jobs. Right. Thank you so much for coming on the show and matching my ire. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where can people find out more about this and getting involved in stuff that they can do? Yeah, definitely. Well, I would say, you know, you can come to mixedrunners.org. We do have a mailing list. Like I said, we need to get people who are still employed to become allies. Mm-hmm. Talking to your members of Congress, you know, making this a priority. Um, there's Extend PUA is a great group. They're doing a lot of stuff around unemployment as well. Trying to get a NELP, the National Employment Law Project, um, mm-hmm. is doing a lot of advocacy around unemployment. I would like to say that there's a lot of groups working on this. Unfortunately, like I said, you know, It surprises me how few people are really focused on unemployment policy, even though it's our our big national crisis right now. We need to make unemployment one of the top policy issues. Like we need to be talking about unemployment policy as much, if not more, than we're talking about stimulus checks, because stimulus checks get a lot of attention, like a lot. Like that is the most common complaint that I get from people who are unemployment or in the unemployment advocacy groups is that we can't get press. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get press, particularly on like CNN and MSNBC. We get print okay, like print covers us Mm -hmm. pretty well. But, you know, like what you're doing, podcasts, like, you know, things that people can either listen to or watch on TV. Like we just need to get more awareness to these policies because people can't look at these relief packages and only think about stimulus checks because we need to make sure that unemployment policy is a top topic. No, I appreciate you coming on the show to talk about it. Obviously, this show has the same viewership as MSNBC and CNN. So awesome. (laughs) Yeah, no, it absolutely doesn't. But because I understand the uphill battle of it all. That's the whole show is an uphill battle. I love this, by the way. You're doing a great you're doing a service. This conversation that we had right now. These are the conversations that we need to be having in the news space as well. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Bye. And welcome to our new segment, Dear Gabby, where I listen to your voicemails, listen to your voice memos, or read emails from you guys related to the episode's topic or just because I want to. So this is an email that we received that has to do with jobs. And the subject line was, I just turned 25 and I feel like I'm 12 again. Relatable. Hi, Gabby. Some psychologists describe the phase of life between adolescence and full-fledged adulthood as emerging adulthood. And I've just been about emerging for seven damn years, and this cocoon is getting real old real quick. 
I was living in an off-campus apartment slash tiny room, continuing to grind my way through my degree, being fully subsidized by my wealthy father in both the tiny room and the degree. Then COVID-19 hit and threw a big fat wrench in my sad little awkward life. When I was living in the off-campus room, I had at least the illusion of being independent, since my home, my mom, my dad were all not in my immediate living vicinity. I was not willing to continue living in a dense urban city that is being ripped through by a pandemic, so I once again moved back home, where several decades of shitty emotions hung up on the walls for everyone to get a nice big fat whiff of bloomed into full anguished force. Hey, just an aside, are you a writer? Because this is really well done. Okay. My dad, who I am completely financially dependent on until I can get my degree, had several long and agonizing weeks of emotional meltdowns, dragging himself and the household back into the darkest depths of my childhood where emotional stability was about as common as peace and quiet. There was none, anywhere. I hope that was clear. I organized three family meetings with social workers to address the meltdowns and felt as though I was the emotional labor equivalent of a failsafe, forced to initiate the needed emotional work that had to be done if all three of us, mom, dad, me, were going to survive living with each other for God knows how many months. Things have calmed down now, but I am filled with a hardened resentment towards my own inability to just have a degree already so I can move out and not immediately get crushed by this sadistic apparatus we call an economy, and also resentment towards my father, whom I continue to need for food, shelter, and money, but I'm also stuck providing the emotional labor equivalent of emergency first aid to through the form of initiating family meetings to try and address the unspoken shit in our relationships. It sucks. I continue to feel emasculated and perpetually stuck in this awkward phase of never-ending adolescence, also known as my life, further compounded by primal need for financial stability and safety at any cost, even that of my identity as an autonomous being, until I can just hurry up, grow up, and move out already. Maybe one of your listeners can also relate. Take care, Glenn. Okay, so besides this being a fantastically written email full of self-awareness, I'm not here to really provide advice in this sort of situation because it feels like such a deep family situation. But I think for a lot of people, moving back home really opened a lot of familial wounds that maybe would not have gotten addressed because you are forced to rely on your family. You are forced to be around them. You are trying to save money. And, you know, it's hard to balance wanting to be responsible and wanting to save money during a clearly unprecedented time that you were not prepared for with the reality of the day-to-day, which is that safety and stability and responsible action comes at a mental health cost. So I think that is something. I mean, you said maybe one of your listeners can relate. I think probably a lot of our listeners can relate. But I just know from reading this that it seems like you you really do have a handle on it. And you're being a little bit hard on yourself because you're doing all of this work. And maybe you don't need to do all of the work that you've been doing because, you know, you're not the parent. They're the parent. And maybe there's some benefit to you just focusing on yourself and taking care of yourself. And I know I'm going to sound like my own father at this point, but like meditating or just trying to be like, okay, it is not my job to triage for everyone. And also that you're being hard on yourself about like not having your degree and not having safety and security already because we are in a situation that is completely unprecedented. And also, if you are part of my generation, which is millennials, we are not – we were not given the the future that we were promised in many, many, many ways, including getting a degree and immediately being able to just have our shit together because of our degree. So I don't think you're stuck anywhere – 
I think that you are doing the best that you can. And I think that, yes, you need to acknowledge that you are sacrificing. You definitely are. And and that's hard. And I think you should be able to like sit in that without the added shame of that being the situation. Good luck. And if you relate to that story and you're a listener, please write in and I will read your responses to Glenn. In terms of jobs, there were a lot of emails from you guys. I'm not going to give advice to everybody, but but I do want to keep this as like a log of, of people's real experiences. So I'm going to read a couple more. Okay. Hi, Gabby. What I'm experiencing is this total inertia when it comes to taking care of my life in any way, but most of all, financially. I'm single, lucky to be employed, but paid poorly, overeducated, master's degree, and kind of low-level miserable all the time, even before COVID-19. As an aside, I feel like this is extremely relatable. Okay, back to the email. I keep thinking that I would like to live alone, but in my current situation, that could not happen. My roommate charges me only $100 a week for rent, and the location is great, close to my work, and the house is huge, so I never have to see my roommate on a normal day. But I'm super introverted and feel depressed if I know I'm not alone in the house. I think I should find a higher-paying job or an additional job because I have no obligations to anyone but myself and my cats. Aw, so why shouldn't I work as much as possible until I can buy my own house? But I'm always just so tired. I get it. Mentally tired, physically tired, emotionally tired, and now there's the obstacle that the economy is tanking and there will be so much more competition for jobs. Correct. I can't do public jobs because I'm autistic and just don't have the constitution for it. I burst into tears if someone is even a little bit brusque with me. So what do I do? Nothing. The bare minimum. I spend however little time I can get away with working, was about nine hours a day pre-COVID, but now is much, much less whilst working from home. I feel like I need a damn life coach or something, but that costs money I don't have. I just thought there could be a topic of bad with money about what to do when you don't have a plan, can't afford help from someone else to make a plan, and so you watch Netflix 16 hours a day. Maybe not as specific as that, but I think a lot of people could relate to floundering without money for plan making help. I love both of your shows so much and I find them so relatable. I am way older than you, but extraordinarily immature for my age, which is 46. Embarrassing. Best, Heather. Okay. 46 is not embarrassing. As I've said many times, the target audience for this show is the only thing I've ever made that has a target audience of older than 30. So I am happy for all of you to be here. I I welcome you. Thank you for joining me. You are all wonderful. And I think that this email is probably incredibly relatable to everyone during this pandemic because we are going through a collective trauma. Of course, we're mentally, physically, emotionally tired every day. Of course, there's so much more competition for jobs. And so that sort of rejection and hopelessness seeps into our everyday emotional state. Uh, We are in the equivalent of a national depression. So please do not do ageism on yourself. And please do not shame yourself for your mental situation during literally the worst time ever. Bad With Money is a production of the Westwood One Podcast Network. Our show is produced and edited by Lindsay Floyd and sound engineered and mixed by Joey Salvia. The supervising producer is Lindsay Floyd and the executive producer is John Wardock. Theme song was performed by Sam Barbera and written by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen. Additional music by Joey Salvia. I'm Gabby Dunn and I will talk to you next Wednesday. Done.